0: Welcome to Winning Streaks, I'm your host Tanvir Mustafa and every week I get deep into the stories and strategies of experts, champions, business moguls and industry leaders to find out how you can win the day and win at life. If you're committed to never settling for the status quo and consistently challenging yourself to new heights, then this is the show for you. In return, I commit to bringing you insightful, practical and no BS conversations that will help you create your next big win. My guest today has worked in B2B tech sales for 18 years across multiple Fortune 500 tech companies. He has contributed to over $100 million in career sales and has had numerous finishes as a number one rep internationally, most notably at Salesforce, which just happens to be where I work as well. Uh, As of late, he has immersed himself headfirst into creating content that inspires sales professionals to perform at their highest level and untap their full potential. He's a successful sales trainer, coach, and leader, frequently being featured on some of the world's top sales podcasts and conferences. Introducing Ian Cognac. Ian, welcome to the
1: show. That was an awesome introduction. Thank you, man. I I hope I can live up to that massive uh, intro you just gave. It's great to be here, Timber.
0: Absolutely, we have a lot of great stuff to talk about. So I just want to dive right into it. And you know, I want to start with something that's a little bit maybe unconventional um, because I got this question recently, and honestly, it caught me off guard. So I want to know, Ian, what does sales or selling mean to you?
1: Selling to me is helping. As simple as. It, as it sounds, it's helping improve, improve the lives of either a person or a company that you're selling to by offering your product or service as a way to bridge the gap between where they are today and where they want to go, plain and simple.
0: I love that. And that that's ultimately the similar answer that I came up with is just uh, helping someone, you know, solve a problem uh, by providing a solution um, one way or another. So, you know, I was telling you offline before, it's really inspiring to see someone who, you know, works at the same company as me and just has been such a huge voice in the landscape of sales. And honestly, and it's it's not a stretch to say that I'd like to be in your shoes one day. Um, but I'm wondering, like, how did you initially get started in sales? Like, how did you initially find the career? Um, curious to know more about that.
1: Yeah, I, I didn't know I wanted to be in sales. I, I'll admit, you know, I'm, I'm a very outgoing person and extrovert, and I always kind of Thought I could be in sales just because of, you know, I like people and I thought that's what sales was per se, Um, but it wasn't a a straight path to get here. I I actually uh, went to school up at Cal and I graduated, um, gosh, 20 20 years ago. Yeah, 2001, right around this time. Um, And I decided I did not want to go into uh, the corporate world. I wanted to be a teacher. And I started um, teaching English in South America and Venezuela And that for me was like a way to continue traveling. I'd caught the travel bug in college and lived abroad, studied abroad in Australia and had been to all these countries. And I was like, I'm not ready to go, you know, traditionally into into the corporate world. And so I I, um, was able to get a visa. I lived in Venezuela for a year and I ended up meeting um, somebody who I fell in love with at the time, who um, at the end of the year, it was really a choice. I could stay in Venezuela and continue kind of just teaching and living Or we both could go to the US um, and try and keep the relationship. Well, the challenge was she could not get a visa and they weren't giving out visas from Venezuela unless it was a student visa. And so the... Um, only way that I was going to help her, she had no money. So in Venezuela, I was making as a teacher, I think it was $150 a month. It was nothing, but the living expenses were also nothing too. So it's all proportional to where you live. It's very much, you know, third world type, type of environment Mm -hmm. in terms of, um, you know, the modern luxuries that we have, none of that was there. And, you know, it was, it was going to be a stretch, uh, for her to get to the U S unless I was able to make a lot of money and very quickly because the international student tuition was very high. Even at the community college, it was like, you know, 10, $10, Mm -hmm. $10,000. So I leave Venezuela and I have no girlfriend, no money, and no job. And I quickly learned that, you know, what I wanted to do uh, photojournalism, which is what I had been doing kind of when I was in Venezuela on the side was not going to pay enough to be able to get her here. And it was mostly freelance jobs. And so I'm like, what can I do that I can make, you know, a lot of money very quickly. And I went to a job fair for marketing and sales. And um, there was a, I remember it was a flyer that was put out in a booth from a company called Lanier. Now Lanier, most people hadn't heard of, but they had made copiers and printers and kind of dictation devices. And they got bought by a company called Rico. And I didn't know anything about them. I didn't know what they did or what they sold, but on the on the on um, the flyer, it said first year 50K, second year 75K, and then a third year, hundred K plus. And I'm like, 50 K first year. I mean, again, this is 20 years ago. That yeah. sounded like a lot of money. Um, and I was, my parents were nice enough to let me move in there with them. And so I wasn't paying rent so I could save a lot of that. And I'm like, I will take it. What do I need to do to make that right? And right. it's a, it's a guarantee. And, and they're like, you just need to, um, you know, to do what we tell you to do. And so I, I get to my interview and they pretty much almost laughed me out the door because I was I had no sales experience. I had only a teacher. They're like, the teacher is the last person. We want people who are money motivated, who are going to hustle. Like, why would we consider hiring a teacher with no sales experience? And I, and I explained to them because I have to succeed. If I don't make this work, um, I can't be with the love of my life and I won't basically be able to move out. So my, my goal was, was very clear. I had to pay for save enough to pay for college and support both of us at the age of 23. And the only way I was gonna do that was if I made a certain income. And so um, when I explained that, they said, okay, well, what do we got to lose? And so they gave me a shot and sure enough, a year later, I, I had my girlfriend here and, um, and I had, I, we were on our own and it was off to the races. That was back in 2003 when, when I first got started.
0: That's, that's quite a crazy story. And, you know, you, you put a lot on the line, like to, to, to go through with that. And, and, uh, especially if you have no background in sales, like it is really foreign to just jump into all of a sudden. Um, and it's interesting to see like Xerox is another copier company and, um, you know, Rico was doing it back in the day and, uh, interesting to see how many really, really good salespeople originate from copier sales or, or printer sales at the beginning of their career. Um, I'm wondering when did it click from you, you know, needing to do sales out of necessity to you falling in love with, with sales um, as a career? Gosh, I, I will be be candid and say, I don't know if I
1: ever fell in love with sales. That's pretty that's pretty strong. What I fell in love with was learning and growing, and getting better, right? I fell in love with self self-development probably four years ago. I really got hooked on being the best version of myself, but for me, most of the time in sales, it was survival, right? So once I get the girl here, the goal the goal isn't done. I got to support both of us. I got to continue to put her through college. So it was always about, for me, making as much money as possible. And that's what's shifted now, right? That's what's really shifted. When you say falling in love, what, what I will say is to me right now, it's not about the money. It's about being of service and making an impact on the lives of others. And I do that when I sell I try and impact the people I'm selling to and understand what they care about, what they want, and show them how to get it, right? The individuals and the companies. And when I do private coaching, it's all about literally trying to change lives and help people break the bad habits that are holding them back and the limiting beliefs and be the best version of themselves. And mm-hmm. I really had to do that work on myself extensively. Um, you know, I, I'd say it started four years ago when when I really um, fell in love with, with getting better. And in the process I fell in love with anything I was doing because I was giving my all for, for those things. But I would say for the bulk of my sales career, I was running on a treadmill. I was trying to make as much money as possible and just live a high life. And, you know, when I realized it didn't get me where I wanted to go, that's when I started making some really important shifts in my own life that led me to where I am today.
0: What were, what were some of those important shifts?
1: I think, for me, there's, there's a word um, that, that comes up a lot. And that word is alignment. When you're living in alignment, you your actions match your beliefs. So for example, if someone believes they're a hard worker, but they're only working a few hours a day or they're not giving their all or they're avoiding the things that they know they need to be doing, they're going to beat themselves up. They're going to have a disconnect, right? If someone believes they're healthy, And they are athletic and they are, you know, truly, um, you know, in, in good shape. And yet they are, you know, 30 pounds overweight or they are not exercising, right? There's a lack of alignment. So for me, the shift is first, it came down to identifying what do I really, really want in my life? And then what are the things I can do every day to help me get those things? And every day showing up and making sure that I'm doing the things that are important to getting where I wanna go. Um, the other shift is, is it used to only be about work, right? It was only about my career and my performance. And you know I had all my eggs in that basket. And what I realized over the past few years specifically is it's equally, no, I'm not gonna say equally. I'm gonna say it's more important to have quality relationships And to be a person of integrity than it is to be a person who's a top performer and making all the money in the world. So I've made a lot of shifts to spend more quality time with my family. I've made a lot of shifts in how I approach money. Instead of hoarding it, I'm actually spending it and enjoying it now and outsourcing a lot of the things that I would traditionally not do so that I can have a better quality of life for myself. For example, you hear some noise in the background. That's the nanny who's watching our kids that come several days a week to ease some of the stress off my wife. I also outsource, you know, um, the housekeeping, for example. I outsource the gardening, the pool, you know, a lot of stuff that I used to do because. I had a, a scarcity mindset, right? Now it's, I have a, it's a shift from a scarcity mindset to an abundant mindset where you know, I will be provided for if I focus on being the best version of myself and really you know, helping others get what they want, I'm gonna get what I'm, I want. So I shift with how, how, and how I spend my money, how I invest. I shift um, how I spend my time and where I spend my time. I have lunch every day with my wife, for example, that's fundamentally important to me. Um, I've gotten sober from, you know, a lot of vices that no longer serve me. So it's been 16 months now since I've gotten drunk, smoked pot, taken Adderall, looked at pornography, played video games or done any kind of gambling. So those were all things that, you know, were distractions that basically maybe felt good in the moment, but, you know, didn't help me um, get where I wanted to go. And, you know, some people say, you're crazy. Why would you give up some of those things? But for me, you know, it was, it was, it was a a choice that I needed to make in my own life to live the life that I um, know I'm capable of living. And every day I can say um, it's not perfect, but it's pretty darn good. So uh, I've made a lot of shift in my personal life and and, um, put, put a lot of time with, with the things that matter most, um, mainly my family, my self-development, my health, mental and physical.
0: Yeah. It certainly seems like you're focusing on the things that matter and that you're giving yourselves more opportunity to be happy, like to experience happiness. Cause you, now, you know, like, okay, these are the things that make me happy. These are where I can parse them in my calendar to ensure that I am consistently giving myself that opportunity to be happy um, while outsourcing maybe the things that that don't make me happy. Um, you know, I totally get that. Um, you made a post recently on LinkedIn and honestly, like it, it really captivated me and um we all know that sales can be a a, a lucrative career if you're, if you can be good at what you're doing. And, but you just made this post about how, you know, you all, it was all about money chasing, right? It was like, okay, I'm going to buy this car. I can buy my dream home and and I bought it and this and that. And I thought I was going to get the satisfaction, but I didn't. Can you talk through what that experience was like of like finally achieving those things that you wanted to buy, but why it maybe didn't satisfy your expectations?
1: Yeah. I mean, I remember it like it was yesterday. So, just to give a little context, I had been number one sales rep in um, my previous company, Rico, And then I got promoted. And I was number one sales manager. Then I got promoted again. And it was number one general manager and number one director. So I had this history of success. And I was always like riding a high, the high of being number one, the high of recognition, achievement. I was, you know, I was a top performer and felt really good. And that was my identity. That was that was who I was. So I get to Salesforce and I finish, finish rookie of the year. My first year, I over my plan, I sell a seven-figure deal. And now my ego is like top of the world, right? And I'm thinking, man, I could do anything. Yeah. Well, then I go and miss quota three years in a row. Three years in a row. One, two years was pretty bad. And then I'm like, you know what? It's not me. It's my assignment. It's my boss. It's, you know, where I am. I'm going to change division. So I go to the commercial division from Enterprise. And then I hit 95% of plan. And I barely miss it. And, and I remember that night, you know, Tony Robbins says, Says it best, change occurs when the pain of staying the same is greater than the, the pain of changing. Right. So pain change is painful. But when it's so painful to stay the same that you can't do it anymore, that's that's when real change occurs. And that's every major change I've made in my life. I I, I reach that kind of breaking point, be it personal or be it in sales. So I get to this point in 2016, um, where I barely. Missed my number 95 and i would given it my all i mean i had tried so hard and i still missed it and at that point i remember it was it was january 31st it was the end of our fiscal year i was told i was getting an order it didn't come through and my head just started like the worst pulsing migraine i've ever had and my ears were ringing and i'm like Fuck this part of my language never again i will never have this feeling again in my life mm-hmm. okay and that was the year I decided to to join a program. It was called Epic Impact. That's the hat I'm wearing right now. And it was all about like helping sales leaders get to that next level and reaching their true potential. And they didn't teach sales. They didn't teach sales training. They taught personal development. They taught you know vision. They taught you know alignment. They taught a lot of the stuff that I'm talking about now, um, which which brings that true fulfillment. And so my you know year when I went through and um, joined Epic Impact was the year I finished number one. And I remember I got the biggest deal of my career. It was a, gosh, it was a $12 million um, TCB deal. Uh, and oh, wow. yeah, it was it was huge. <laughs> and my quota, that year I finished almost 400% of the plan. And I remember like a week or two later, I was sitting in my car and I had like, literally just closed this huge deal. And I remember feeling like, is this it? Is this what i worked my whole life for? I I just got to the pinnacle of the sales world. I just made a million dollars in one year. And yet I feel empty inside. Like now I got to do it all over again. Like, what is this for? And, And I posted a video to this private group that I was in, this epic impact group. It's now called Abundant. And I talked about how I was feeling. I'm like, I feel a little down and I feel like I should be on this high. But that's what happens when you're chasing achievement, when you're chasing a process of being the best you can every day. There is no end in sight. There is no goal. There is no outcome. The goal is to be your best version today and focus on doing everything you can today to hit the goals that you have right in front of you. And that's forever going. Right. So when you're chasing a physical outcome of becoming number one or making a million dollars or buying a dream home or driving a car. You know, I, I shared this many times. I used to drive a Maserati. I turned that in and now we're a single car home with our family. I don't miss it. I don't miss it, okay? None of that stuff, it gives you a rush. But remember, I'm a recovering addict. So I'm not after a rush. I'm after calm. I'm after peace. I'm after, you know, um, you know really, really stability. Where is when you're just chasing outcomes, it's like if you hit it, okay, then it's gone after you hit it. And if you don't hit it, you feel miserable about yourself because you missed it. Mm-hmm. So there is no winning game. And by the way, the target keeps moving all the time because you just made a million dollars. Well, What about next year? What yeah. are you going to do next year? You just finished number one. Where do, where do you go from there? So yeah. the feeling is one of accomplishment, but not true inner peace or fulfillment or joy longer that comes from really, you know, doing The things that are even more difficult than performing which is facing your demons and being the the person who has nothing to hide who is is truly growing in in a way that um is is beyond just an income or, or or leaderboard so that's that's the shift i guess the past four years i made is what ended up happening is i i finished number one i finished number four and um I still felt this emptiness inside, even though I had everything I could dream of. I mean, I have a, I live in a $2 million house. I live by the beach. I have a beautiful, amazing wife and kids. And yet I still feel this emptiness. This is a couple of years ago. I'm like, what's missing? right? And so I'm like, am I just cursed? Do I, do I, can I just never be happy? That was what I was thinking. Mm-hmm. And, and in the past couple of years, everything's changed since I started again, really um, working on my. You know, family, on my marriage, on, you know, putting my time in other areas because true joy and true fulfillment doesn't come from money. It doesn't come from achievement. It comes from three things. The first one by far is the most important. That's connection. That's connection with other people and especially with your partner. Right? So when I really started putting in the time and work with my, with my marriage, man, my happiness and joy, it, it, it's, whole, it's a whole different level. I also had a couple kids right in the past few years, and that connection with them, like I want to be the best version of myself so I can, you know basically um, change the generational curse that's been in my family, with all the men and struggling with addiction. I don't want them ever to see that. So I'm inspired seeing them every day. Um, that's the first one is connection. The second one is, is contribution. It's giving back, it's service. It's why you do your newsletter and your podcast. It's why I do my videos every week. It's why I go on podcasts. It's why I, I um, sponsor men who are in addiction recovery because I'm contributing. And in giving to others, you get true joy beyond what you get when you're just giving to yourself. And the third area is growth. When we feel like we are we know where we're going, we have, we have strong goals and we're achieving our goals, not just achieving, but we're... Um, on track, every day we're doing things that actually help us get closer to our goals, um, then we're growing. So growth can be mental, it could be learning, getting better at jobs, it could be physical. I signed up for a half marathon in, in, um, in September. The longest I've ever run is six miles. So this is double what I would have ever run. And the only reason I did it so I can continue growing, because I felt like my exercise routine was getting a little stale. So I want to challenge myself a little more. It's not because I love marathons, but next year I want to do a triathlon. So this journey to be the healthiest I can be, you know, started with me, you know, deciding not to ingest certain things in my body. And now it's in my mind as well. Um, and now it's turned into like really peak performance in terms of my health, what I eat, and you know, my exercise. So those three things, if you can get contribution, connection, and growth infused into your every day, that's where you'll find the fulfillment that chasing a goal is not going to give you. So that's that's really what, what I'm after. And that's why I started my coaching business is to help other people tap into what I believe is is a true secret to, to living, you know, successfully and, and having a fulfilled life.
0: Contribution, connection, and, and growth. Uh, I love that. And, you know, I'm even starting to realize, listening to, to individuals such, such as yourself, and you know, uh, keeping my mind open with books and and all sorts of uh, growth materials, of how important it really is to focus on the journey and the process, and not necessarily the target or the destination. But uh, that's a good place to reverse engineer back from. But what's even more important is the day to day and what you're consistently doing to get there. Um, but speaking of secrets, I mean, Ian, getting into the meat and pot- potatoes of it, you've consistently been a Top performer, right? Um, You're at ninety percent of quota. Like that's that's super duper close. So you know you've you've consistently been in. Now you're a successful you know sales trainer and sales coach. Let's talk about some of the tricks of the trade, some you know sales secrets, so to speak. What do you think you did differently than everyone else that led you to be a consistent number one performer or top performer?
1: Yeah. So, so my consistency now is really in the past five years. So five years ago it was 95%. Then past four years, I've been over plan with two of those monster years that I told you about. So I've kind of cracked the code a little bit on how to be consistent. And you know what the, the secret is there is no secret. Okay. There's a couple things you can do really, really well that I'll, I'll try to give you um, unscripted that have worked for me. Okay. And the first thing is number one, by far most important, I think is Um, work with power right and and when i say work with power you know i have very large enterprise accounts and i'm working with the cios of those accounts or the head of global sales the head of customer delivery i'm going to give you a real story right now with a company they just went public it's called task us last friday that was my account okay their two founders now are worth 400 million dollars each as shown in the wall street journal okay first thing i did Right when I saw that article is I wrote to the three executives I work with. One is the CEO, one is the president, one is the chief sales officer. Two of the three wrote back within a few hours. That's the type of relationship I have with these now very, very famous and very successful executives who rang the bell on the NASDAQ. So um, the reason they wrote back is because I made sure that back in the day, this is again back, I I had that account starting in 2016. So I was with them kind of during this hyper growth period. And those guys were just humble. They were kind, they were down to earth, okay? And you know, what I sent to them and when I reach people, when I reach out to Power, my emails and my outreach is all about them. I take the time. I'm going to read um, my, my email string to you because I think it's, it's relevant for this on what I sent them today. Because again, this is not even my account anymore. I have no vested interest other than you know, congratulating them. And I'm going to read what I said because this will give you an idea of like how I craft my messages to Power. So I said, Bryce, Jared, and Jasper, the three executives, I saw the news on Taskus' successful IPO and just wanted to take a moment to congratulate each of you. As Salesforce account director for Taskus from 2017 to 2019, I supported your account during a period of hyper growth when you were under 100 million when I first started working with you. Okay. Most importantly, uh, it's huge to see how far you've taken the company. Most importantly, you did it the right way by putting your employees first. So glad that so many people in the Philippines benefited from this IPO and were part of your journey. It's awesome to see how far you've come in such short order. And I'm honored that we can play a small part in the journey, okay? The chief sales officer writes back and says, thanks so much for the note, Ian. It was truly a remarkable day for all of us, okay? Thank you so much for your support during our time working together. Salesforce has become a critical part of our business and our success, not to mention driving our growth, capital growth. We are just getting started. Lots of great days yet to come. I write back and I'll stop after this. Yes, indeed. I know you guys are just getting started and hopefully the IPO will pave the way for continued innovation and disruption from TaskUs. miss working with you and very proud of the team. You guys are all humble, sharp, straight shooters, which will continue to bring ongoing success. This is the type of dialogue I'm having with the executives. There's no pitch. It's all about them. It's congratulations. It's recognition. It's research. It's taking the time to say, great job, man. It's great to be part of that journey. Most of all, there's nothing in it for me. Okay, I don't manage this account anymore. I'm just happy for the guys, right? So that's how I approach when I'm meeting with power. I really do try to understand what good looks like for them. My favorite question to ask in these initial meetings is, you know, if we were to fast forward a year from now and you could tell me I had a phenomenal year, what would that look like for you? I them get question. them get them talking about that. What would you have accomplished if we fast forward a year from now? Okay. Get them imagining what a better future looks like for the goals. No sales reps are asking this stuff. No one teaches this stuff, unfortunately. Yeah. But that's the human, human to human connection. So in sharing this example, I hope you got three things from this. Number one is always go for power. Number two is be authentic and don't sound like everyone else. Stand out, talk about them. And number three is, focus on the goals and initiatives they have at the highest level, then back your product into what they're trying to do. So every proposal that I ever have for a client is all about, Hey, where do you want to go? What's stopping you from getting there? And can I help if the answer is yes. And I'm going to go hard at it because I know I can help you. If the answer is no, I'm going to say, sorry, we're not a good fit. And by the way, I do the same thing in my coaching business. If I talk to someone, I won't take on a client unless I know I really can help them. And I, unless I know they're struggling areas that I can, you know, address because I've been there myself. So I think that to me is like the true essence of what great sales secrets is, is like, don't make it about you, make it about the customer, make it about them and just show up humble and curious and authentic and ready to serve. And believe me, that's going to shine through because that's what people want. And that's what people crave in this digital world that we're in where people might have a lot of connections, but they're more disconnected than ever.
0: Yeah. I, it's, it's so crazy. You say that. And, and something that I'm realizing, especially throughout, you know, the past year and a half with this pandemic and everything is just how much people create, crave humanity in the sales process. And it's so hard. It's like, it's not an easy thing to do. Like just being zoom fatigue, like back-to-back meetings all day, virtually, um, you know, uh, just hearing the same emails or seeing the same emails over and over again, you know, being in the same calls over and over again, seeing the same slide decks, agenda, introductions, you know, so on and so forth over and over again. Um, it, you can easily tell how people are getting tired about these things and finding ways, you know, m- myself personally, um, I don't know if you've read the book, The Go-Giver. I just talked to, I recently talked about it on my podcast, but um, all about like, how can you be a giver first before you, you know, start to take, if at all, you know, just giving yeah. without, um, need for expect or without expecting anything in return, and I'm trying to figure out how to integrate that in my sales sales process.
1: Yeah, I love that, and, and that's something I always used to do, like with um, with Rico, and I continued at Salesforce. Like before I started selling, I said, well, "Let me look at how you're using the Salesforce platform. Let me see what you're doing. I'd love to, like, you know, look at your environment and see if I can give you any tips or tricks or ways to help you." Right. So I would I would have my clients. Um, show me how they use Salesforce. And, you know, fortunately, I was I was uh at Rico, I was the director of sales. I had 80 employees. We were I I helped put everyone on Salesforce. So I knew how to use it really well for like, you know, opportunity management, and dashboards and reports. So I was just kind of going in there as somebody who was leading sales. So when I could tell um, you know, heads of sales that I grew my business 30% as a leader with Salesforce, and I'd love to see how they're using it. And if they're using it for the fullest, they'd take a meeting all day long. I wouldn't never, but it wouldn't be there to like pitch a lot of people, even at Salesforce, right? You know this, like you're looking at um, the white space, you're looking at what they don't own and you're pitching those products, right? But my approach was always to look at how they're using the platform and compare that to the goals they have. And is the platform getting them to the goals that they're trying to accomplish? And most of the time it's no, most of the time it's underutilized. Most of the time there's things they could be doing better, right? So when you start by sharing those things, right, that are free And I worked with my success manager to kind of identify those. And then you can talk about, oh, by the way, to take this to the next level, maybe you want to add Tableau CRM, maybe you want to integrate with with other applications. It's a more natural, fluid conversation versus the guy before you showed up and is just trying to sell without even knowing what they do or how they're using the platform. So I think that's really important is like add value first, definitely. Um, And that helps people start to trust you. And then obviously when it's time to buy, when there's opportunities, you know, they're going to remember what you've
0: done for them. Yeah. It's interesting because my, my newsletter, so my sales newsletter is called the sales pitch, but funnily enough, or ironically enough, I'm trying my least as like as little as possible to actually pitch because if there's not a need, right. Or if, if it's the end of the month, like why should the customer care if it's the end of the month, if there's not a legitimate need to change, if there's yeah. if there's not enough of a pain, um, you know, internally to, to change. And so trying to be more cognizant of that, you know, throughout the process. And um, so it's, you know, yeah,
1: I'm going to keep going with some of the sales sales secrets, because what you brought up just reminded me of like, you need to feel like you are an employee of their company. You need to feel like you work for them and, and your success is their success, and vice versa, right? So that's what feels like a partnership, right? If you just take the time to understand where they want to go right? And, and, and really get them to open up. Then you could pretty much back anything into, into that when you carry a bag as big as Salesforce. right? If you have a one specific product, it's a little bit different. But when you're working in a company with a lot of products that can solve a lot of problems, then it's easier to back it into it. But one of the things that you mentioned is like why people buy at the end of the month. And a lot of reps say it's our last day of the month. We have this deal. It's going away. Yeah, Customers really probably are not going to believe you or or buy into that. What I would say in that situation is it's the last day of the month. It would mean a ton if you're able to help accelerate this to push it through. I want to remind you that this is giving you this ROI and these benefits. The sooner we can do it, the better. I also, for me, it would mean a lot to get this in because it gets counts for you know our month and we are a growth company and you know we had already committed and, and talked about doing it this month is there any reason why you couldn't move forward and sign today and if they say you know purchasing it's stuck with the i'm like can you call can you accelerate one of the things i always try to do is remind people that i've gone above and beyond and work my tail off of them it's like hey i got this thing i got this thing i got this thing done you know, can you return the favor, right? And people like shy away from it. It's not a favor for me per se. It's a favor for the partnership. So if you've gone above and beyond to help them out in all areas, like connecting them, you know, with an administrator or helping their team or, you know, whatever it is, adding, adding all that value, right? Then it's your job and it's okay to bring that back up and say, look, I've done all these things because I care about your business and this is a partnership. Can you please, you know, see what you can do to accelerate this? Just do your best. And if you can't, you can't, but all I'm asking you to do is try. And I can't tell you how many times I I would guess to say nine out of 10 times. Uh If I have that conversation, they're going to be able to find a way to push it through because I'm at power and power makes things move quickly right, right? If, if you're low level and they have to go up the chain they're afraid of their boss yeah that didn't happen but when you're working with power right and sitting on the desk of somebody that's just you know has another 10 things on their desk right that's when you can call in those favors you mm-hmm. can't call in the favors you can't ask for any um favors or acceleration unless you've earned it that's the way i look at it and i never would even bother if it's just for me they're not going to do it. But if it's for the partnership and it's reciprocation, they want that. They want you to continue to be a good partner and and go above and beyond. And if they don't do something to help you out, you know, maybe they're not going to get the same level of service in their minds. So they're mm-hmm. going to usually do something to, you know, get get it in for you guys at the end of the at, end of the month, end of the year, end of the quarter, whatever it is.
0: Yeah. And again, it's you you spent so much time giving first right? You, you know, did this for them, did that for them, you know, presented an ROI, there's a business case here. And then, you know, they, now you've given them so much where they're, they're like, okay, we want a partner and we want to make this happen. So,
1: um, 100% because people want to hook you up. Right. And they, I mean, they do people, I have the belief that people are inherently good unless you give them a reason not to be right. And I think a lot of salespeople, they're just afraid. Um, the other thing I do, so that, that I guess getting to power, solving problems, being authentic, serving. The other thing I, I do, I think really differently is, is my philosophy is that it's not that people aren't interested, they're just busy, right? And I think a lot of reps will stop calling or when they're getting ghosted after a great meeting or proposal, You know, they're they're they they don't want to bother the client. They don't want to be annoying. They don't want to be too pushy. I lean on the opposite direction. I'll apologize if I'm way too pushy, but I'm like, you said you wanted this. What's going on? Like, I'll I'll text, I'll call, I'll email. Like, I'm all over it. If I know that I've done my part, that everything is ready to go, and you know they're just busy. I, you need to be in their ear so they can just finally do it, right? I I had a guy, one of my coaching clients. He was asking me for referrals. for a couple of senior executives that I know in other companies. And he saw that I was connected with them on LinkedIn. He's like, Ian, give me a referral. And I just, you know, I said, I'll get to it. And I forgot about it. Then he came back to me and he texted me, hey, how about the referrals? And I thought I'd get to it, I forgot about it. It wasn't gonna take that long to make a couple intro emails. He even wrote the emails for me, ghost wrote wrote them for me. And finally he got me again, he said, bumping this up, can you please take care of this, man? It would mean a lot to me. And I'm like, sorry, dude, like stop what I was doing, right? So that's kind of the same approach I take with customers when I'm certainly in that late stage negotiation closing is like, you really need to be in their ear and, and getting it done and just following up. And don't think for a minute that you're annoying them. Every time, even if they ghost me for a month, like what usually happens is, is um, they'll apologize. I, I'm so sorry. I'm so busy. I've been meaning to get back to you or whatnot. So you're not like annoying them, you know. You, you just need to kind of mix up the messaging a little bit with each follow up and maybe remind them what you're doing or why they need to, and you know have a, have a good reason. But that's like for me, I just don't take no when I know. They mean yes, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if they mean no, and I haven't done discovery, you know, that's totally different story. But we're in a sales cycle, man, and, and we've qualified, and they have a need, and we're helping them. Like, you know, what do you think the the top um, AEs close ratio is? The top seven percent. Um, what do you think the average close ratio is across software? And what do you think the top twenty percent is? I want to challenge you on a on um, just <laughs> average close ratio for software and this is at the proposal when you proposed not not in the pipeline but when you've done a proposal what's the average close ratio the top 20 percent and the top seven percent the elite what do you think those are
0: uh let's say average um 15 percent uh, close ratio um, let's say top top performers 25 um, percent and you know top seven percent is like Thirty percent close ratio. Okay.
1: okay, you'd be surprised. So this is from the um, Rain Research Group, where they surveyed, you know, B two B B two B companies, uh, software companies, and uh, the Rain Group for sales research, and you know, thousands of respondents. So the win loss rate of all respondents, the average win loss rate is forty seven percent. That's the average win rate. Forty seven percent of deals. Okay. That's a lot. That's a lot higher than I expected. It's a lot higher than most people expect. You're not alone. Most people think it's like twenty to thirty percent ish. It's not okay. If your ratio is twenty percent, you are not doing your job in sales. I promise yeah. you. So it's a forty-seven percent ratio. Now, the of the other, you know, fifty-three percent, twenty-five percent are losing to no decision, and twenty-eight percent are losing to a competitor. Now, when you get into the elite, right, or, or the top performers, the top twenty percent that turns into 62%. So three out of five deals, right? Three out of five deals. And the elite, the top 7%, it turns into 73%, almost three out of four deals, okay? And that's, for me, the difference. It's not about the quantity of deals, it's about the quality. Can I go ahead for every deal and make sure that I have checked the boxes that I know are gonna lead to a deal? Are Am I solving a problem? Is that problem important to solve now? Am I working with power? Have I shown the value or ROI on this deal? Do they have a compelling event that's going to drive them to want to do that? If I can answer those questions, right? If they can tell me why they need to change and what happens if they don't change and what happens if they do change, right? And those are some serious consequences. I know I got myself a deal. And so that is consistent with a lot of the top performers that I've coached and a lot of, you know, some of the, the top performers in the industry, it should be three out of four deals. You shouldn't be throwing crap at the wall and seeing what sticks. If you're at the proposal stage where you're asking for money yeah. and you're asking them to part with, you know, their resources and their time and their money, you better have a really good case to make. Right. And that's a, that's where I think for me, the biggest difference was, and the biggest secret was, it's not about having a little bit of time with a lot of opportunities and a lot of people, and just kind of working the numbers. It's about spending a lot of time with very few, but larger opportunities, and working at that executive level. That, to me, has been, you know, the biggest uh, I'd say change that I've made, and in, in, in the biggest secret I can give you amongst all the other ones I've shared.
0: I'm gonna use that. That's that's incredible advice for for me personally. I find myself a lot of time chasing tires, you know, like just. If, if, especially if someone I know um, is like ghosting me and I know that we can be valuable to them, like I will continue and continue and continue and continue to, to go after it, even if it's not that big of a, you know, of a, of a dent. So um, that's helpful for me to hear personally.
1: My, my sales side, you know, side, when I was selling like selling probably about a million and a half a year in those years that I wasn't hitting quota. Right. And then I, and then I averaged almost four, right. In the years that I was in the past few years and my deal size went Up so much more. It was, you know, it it got to like 5X. I mean, it was like 100K going up to like 500K average deal. But it it was, I'd much rather do four deals to get to 2 million and be right at plan than do 20 deals at 100K to get to that same 2 million. Because those deals, frankly, are the same amount of work, right? So for me, it, it really is about finding the right opportunities, you know, really understanding, you know, do people have a problem that we can solve, right? Are they trying to, in Salesforce's case, You know, transform their organization, move quicker, um, accelerate product development, you know, drive growth, you know, in a sales environment, you know, whatever it is. Salesforce, again, you have so many products so it's really easy to back into whatever their specific problem is, you know, depending on the department of who you're talking to. but. If you sell a single product or, you know, a more specific solution, you really just want to identify like the three or four things that your problem solves and then find out if those are problems for the client, why they are problems, what happens if they don't change it, and then gear everything you do in your sales cycle around helping them and showing them that you can solve that problem and make their lives better. And, you know, the rest pretty much falls into place. So, you know, I'll I'll spend a much more amount of time on discovery and almost wanting to disqualify versus you know, the, the proposal and the presentation, like I'm I'm really trying to help me, help tell me like, so what, who cares? You have this manual process, so what, who cares? You know, it takes you this long, like, so what? Yeah. Why do you want, like, I, it's almost like, I, not confrontational, but it's definitely contentious in some scenarios. It's like, okay, well, this is gonna be a massive change to bring in new software and to change how you work. Is it really worth it? Like, what happens if you don't, you know? It yeah. doesn't, sound that, doesn't sound that bad to me. I tell people that. <laughs> Doesn't sound that bad. So they can really kind of dive in as to yeah, why it's necessary. The, the, another, another question I like to ask is what can't you do because of the situation in, you're in today? What is this stopping you from doing? So if you really talk about like opportunity cost, maybe they can't get a product to market, maybe they can't get funding, you know, for their series A, maybe they can't um, you know, uh, sleep at night, you know, <laughs> like whatever it is, like if you can find out what they can't do because Um, of staying the same. Again, it gets back to that Tony Robbins quote, you know, if the change of of, um, staying the same is greater than the pain of changing, then, you know, they're willing to to make a change. So I think software is really complex. It's tough and it does require a lot of change. So you better make sure, you know, that your clients are um, willing and able to to make that change or else you're going to spend a lot of time with unqualified people and you're going to have a lot of frustration because your deals aren't going to close so just better to invest a little more up front learning about you know what why they need to change and what's in it for them um and then if it's something that frankly you can help with that's when it's like great i'm going to bring in my resources i'm going to bring in the team my engineer we're going to build a custom demo we're going to you know show you an roi it's going to be an investment are you ready to you know to, to walk this road with us and, mm-hmm. and they say yes you know then it's like they bring in their team and we have a deal right the, the sale isn't made at the proposal stage and sales made in the discovery and mm-hmm. getting permission to go in deep in their business and dig because by that time if they're showing you everything they're committed they're ready and they want to change they wouldn't be wasting their time otherwise
0: right right and so digging in more into that uh you know you said focusing on a few big deals as opposed to but like multiple tiny deals is where you'd rather spend your focus so um, you know that's something i'm trying to think about now but something that we face as is, is you know sales professionals is the stress of sales so for example if i'm if i'm spending a lot of time on a bigger bet that's maybe a 3 to 6 month cycle that maybe means that i don't hit quota this month or that maybe means i don't hit qu- quota for two months but i'm setting myself up for a big month later on so how do you deal with this the the stresses and pressures of you know quota and sales and and you know management and etc cetera, etc cetera?
1: yeah i think you just said it management right <laughs> like, I'm, I'm in the enterprise i'm in the national enterprise so i'm i'm kind of the I don't know, the special ops for, for Salesforce, we're, we're dealing with the, the biggest of the biggest accounts. So I only have two accounts. Now, I, I haven't always got here. It took me eight years to get to this point where I'm in this division, but my two accounts are uh, totaling over 20 million ARR, right? So they're big customers, they're complex, and I think leadership in my division understands it's an annual business. It's not a monthly or a quarterly business. If you're an SMB, if you're in mid-market and they're putting this pressure where you have to hit your quote every month, man, that, that's really hard, right? I think from my perspective, you know, the, the quote I love to use is all I can do is all I can do, right? If you know you're giving your all and you're doing your best and you really are doing all you can do, and most people are not doing all they can do. Most people are working at maybe 70%, um, but if you're really doing all, all you can do and focusing on your RGAs, RGA stands for Revenue Generating Activities. I talk a lot about that, right? In other words, you're following up with customers. There's four types of RGAs. You're either setting meetings, you're doing meetings, you're preparing for meetings, or you're following up on the meetings. So if your time throughout the entire day is set, spent on those four things, right? And ideally, in, in, in advancement of pipeline is the number one bucket that all those activities should be focused on, not generation of new pipeline, but advancement of what you already have, mm-hmm. right? Um, then you're doing all you can do, right? And, and that's that's kind of how I look at it, right? Is, is if I give my all every day, then I'm going to have really, really good weeks and good weeks are going to turn into good months. Um, it's when you get caught looking at the number when you get in trouble, like, oh, I'm only at, you know, 20% of my goal for the month. I don't look at the number. I look at the progress in the deals that I have, and I figure out what do I need to do to advance this deal forward. And you know, if you have a manager, especially in the larger enterprise, that sees that your pipeline is full, and maybe it's not full this month, but it's full this quarter or later on in the year, and sees that you know you're actively engaging in deals and you're submitting DSRs, and and for those of the audience who doesn't know what that is, it's a deal, <laughs> deal support requests, right? So it's when you need help on a deal with pricing or legal or whatever. If your manager sees you're active and you're having a lot of meetings, and those meetings are driving pipeline, you know, any manager worth their salt, any manager with even a bit of, of skill or intelligence is going to say, okay, this is a person I want on my
0: team. Yeah. If you don't
1: have that, your manager doesn't deserve to be a manager. That's, I'm, that, l-
0: I'm lucky that I have great leaders like that who who understand uh, the long game. Um, but I did find myself, you know, taking care of, like being being an order taker, like earlier this year, I found myself letting my day get away from my get away from me by, you know, doing cases, um, you know, DSRs, like all these things that aren't necessarily ACV generating. So so Um, that's the
1: thing. So that's the thing. You just said it, Tenvir, you're, you're not focused on RGS. I will never submit a case, right? I, I, I know some people do, and I've seen it. I've seen people on my team who do it. I, my, my CSM is amazing. And they know that if customers have an issue, they, first of all, I train the client to submit the case. I say, here's how you do it. I, I'm, working sales you have to submit the case and then here's your CSM and if you don't get the follow-up then you're going to to do that now there are cases like commission cases or something like that where I didn't get paid you know of course you have to do some of that expense reports but for the most part I, I have a system I, I, I use called the four D's okay and the system is, is very simple do I do it myself that's the first um, first D if I do it myself I do I do it now or do I defer it that's second second D so if it's something that takes two minutes or less, but something that's fast, I'll do it now and I'll plug it in and I'll get it done, right? If it's something that's going to take longer, like creating a proposal, I'll defer it and I'll time block. I'll put it in my calendar. The third D is really where I think I, I differentiate. Um, and That's not a D, but if it happens to me, the third D is delegate. I delegate a lot of stuff. I delegate to my customers. I delegate to my success managers. I delegate to my specialist, my, you know, my co-primes. I delegate a lot. So I I really do consider myself a quarterback. My goal is to set the strategy and make sure everyone's doing their job. And I leverage my team really well. My engineer is amazing. My engineer, I even delegate my PowerPoints, right? I I get it to somebody who's good at design to help put together a polished presentation. I use Ignite a lot. I use Illuminate. I use all the program Salesforce offers for discovery, right? So I'm really, again, quarterback, putting everyone else to work and I see myself as kind of the CEO of my territory, and I have this massive team that's helping me do it. So delegation's huge. And the last one is delete it, right? Do I need to do this? Is it really necessary, or is this something that's going to be a distraction? So if it's something I don't really need to do, you know, I get I'll, I get a lot of people reaching out to me for advice or sales tips or pick my brain. Maybe they want to get in Salesforce. Nine out of ten times, I'm going to delete those. I'm like, you know, I don't have time for this. I'm sorry. Now they reach out with a personalized tailored note. And I don't respond and they reach out again and, you know, I'll give them a meeting because they're following, you know, what I'm teaching. Right. right. And, they're, and they're, you know, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're appealing to my heart versus just asking me for, for a favor. Right. So I think that for me is, is key is like, you got to value your time. You have to value your time and work efficiently. And when you're working big deals, like again, every single bit of my time is geared towards executing that deal and executing a flawless deal cycle and doing the things that I know are going to lead to winning that deal. And everything else is just a distraction. So time management and focus are absolutely critical to success in, frankly, any role, not just sales.
0: Yeah. I hope anyone, I know I am for sure, but I hope anyone listening to this is going to go back, rewind, and listen to this thing, whole thing all over again because it's just gems through and throughout, especially for, for someone in sales. Um, one thing that I wanted your quick perspective on is you, you advocate a lot about, you know, for mentorship. Um, how has mentorship impacted your career um, and why is it so important to find a mentor?
1: I think if you uh, are doing things on your own and you're not getting the results you want, then you keep doing it on your own, you're insane. And I think for me, I was doing that for a while, right, three years in a row. And that's, that's what led me to, um, you know, to join Epic Impact. So, you know, mentorship takes many forms. It could be listening to me on a podcast or Tanvir or somebody else that is inspirational. That's kind of what I call public men- mentorship. Then there's the, the private mentorship. And then there's the paid men, 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 uh, mentorship, right? So I kind of do all three. I have people I listen to, I have podcasts, I have books I read you know, that are available to everyone that I just kind of soak in if I'm on a run, on a you know, Audible or, or whatnot. And that stuff's great um, because it really does help you um, get inspiration on what good looks like from somebody who's performing at an you know, at a, at a epic level, right? Private me- membership's great because it's a little more hand-on. And it's, it's basically, that's when you seek a colleague, you know, who's done it before. Ideally, you know, the top person in your company or your division or whatnot, that is able to help you maybe just meeting once a month. I've done that for a few people, um, myself as a mentor, and I've had people mentor me, the top performers that I had freestanding calls with. And that's like, you know, when you, when you can bounce ideas off each other, or you can, um, you know, plug scenarios that they're in that, you know, they've potentially been in and they can tell you, you know, how to structure a deal or, you know, what they would do in that situation. That's huge because you're literally not having to pave the road on your own. Someone's paved it before you and you're walking on that road behind them, which is, which is critical. And then there's, you know, the pavement membership, which is, I think the most impactful, that's what I did. I've invested over $50,000. Now it's close to 60 um, the past few years in my own personal development. So when it's paid, you actually have somebody whose job it is to coach and to help you, or you're part of a group of elite people that are all invested in their own self-development, invested. So there's accountability. When you put your money where your mouth is, when you're paying for something, you're going to want to see results and you're going to want to put into action far beyond what you're listening to someone public or watching a podcast or a YouTube video. So that to me is like you know I I, I watch my money closely. Well not wow. anymore so much, but I used to <laughs> and, and and you know if I'm putting my money into a program I better be getting the results. So I, I'm a huge advocate for you know paying for either group coaching or online courses or um, private coaching or, you know, any type of program seminar, whatever it is. I have been doing that for a long time um, for myself and, you know, especially out of pocket, right. Make, put some skin in the game and, you know, make sure, cause then you're going to put the stuff into practice. Cause it's like, man, this is, I had someone take out a loan, literally yeah. um to pay for coaching. And he is getting so many results cause he has to, right. It's like, he doesn't have a choice and man, it's so rewarding to see, when someone you know, it means that much to them that they're willing to figure out a way to get it happen. Because those are the action takers. Those are the ones who're gonna really. So again, the more you invest, the more you're gonna be willing to put the stuff into practice and take action. So for me, mentorship is just part of my life now. I mean, it's it's exactly even my personal brand. I have a group I'm part of called Brand Builders Group, and I'm paying them in a few weeks, seven thousand dollars to help me with my sales page, my strategy, my funnels, my marketing. You know, a lot of the stuff that you know is gonna help me get to my next level in my in my side business um, because I realize right now it's just me and i'm kind of doing things manually so um i'm getting their guidance because they've done it before and for some of the you know more you know some of the best uh personal brands out there um some of the most famous so i am very much somebody who practices what i preach and and that's how i know i can preach it because i'm doing it myself
0: yeah, the power of, of investing in yourself is incredible, and uh, honestly, I feel like I got a free coaching session today, so uh, I appreciate it, Ian. Where can people find you? Uh, you know, learn about you, connect with you, and maybe perhaps enroll in some of your programs.
1: Yeah, um, best place is LinkedIn by far. So I, I put out a new video every week on LinkedIn. Um, just follow me if you if you connect, you put in connection request and just mention the podcast. Um, what I'll do is I'll send you a link to my newsletter, my YouTube channel, so you can get subscribed. If you're interested in coaching, just go to my website, ianconiac.com. There's a little form. It's just ianconiac.com slash contact. And there's a form in there. There's a waitlist for a few months, but you can sign up on the waitlist. And um, when spots become available, I'll let you know. I will be launching more of a group, you know, public coaching um, program in, in the months to come. So if you're interested in that, just Again, sign up for the wait list. Uh, I have a YouTube channel. I'm, I'm kind of all over the place. <laughs> the only thing I, I wouldn't say is don't go on my Instagram because it's just gonna be family pictures and, and my <laughs> kids. So if you want sales coaching, LinkedIn, YouTube, and, and my website are the places to go for sure. But LinkedIn, number one, I'm, I'm living
0: on there these days. Awesome. I'll be sure to link all that in my show notes. Uh, one last question to cap it off. If there were one piece of advice you'd give to my listeners to help them accomplish their next big win, what would it be?
1: I've given a lot of advice but if I, if I had to just leave people with one advice I would say to start investing in yourself um, think about where you are today and where you want to be a year from now and is there a big gap and if there is write down exactly what your future self looks like you know, what are you making? How healthy are you? What are your relationships should look like? It's not one piece of advice. You have to think about your future. You can't be just running on a treadmill, you know, just not knowing where you're going. So take the time to set your vision for what you want, want your life to look like. Think about the actions that you're gonna get there, gonna get you there and then start today. Stop waiting to live the life you deserve. You just gotta identify and and do it now because life is way too short and it can end before you know it. So no reason to wait. Start today.
0: Ian, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much for, for coming on to Winning Streaks.
1: Great to be here. Thanks for having me.